Last week, Jason talked about this guy from Scripture named Thomas, who's referred to as Doubting Thomas, right? That should be up there. Um, And Jason said it's funny how Thomas got that name because in reality, Thomas wasn't the only doubter. He just kind of had the doubting story. And it seemed like there were a lot of other doubters also. And this week, we had the opportunity to look at two more doubters. Uh, The message this morning is called Seven Miles and 18 Inches. If you are taking notes, seven miles and 18 inches. We'll be in Luke 24, starting in 13 and going through 35. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some around the back. Um, Feel free to take those. If you know somebody who doesn't have a Bible, who needs a Bible that you want to give to them, feel free to take this also for them. Now, 18 inches is shown to be the average length between someone's head and their heart. 18 inches. For some of you, um, I know that you can tell me stories about how your faith journey has been a lot more than a mere 18 inches. You've come a long, long way, more than 18 inches. And so for it to get to your head, to your heart, definitely took much more time than it takes you to go 18 inches. During this series that we've been in since Easter called Closer, We've seen a lot of people in Scripture take steps. I like to think that every step that we take in faith is an arrival, an arrival into something new, something that we've never experienced before, a place that we've never seen. We see things differently than we have before with this newfound knowledge. As we grow closer to God, closer to Jesus, and closer to each other, our perception changes. So, During this series, if you've had any steps, if you've made any steps, any new arrivals, feel free to email them to me. I want to hear your story. Take a few minutes and type out your stories and email it to me. My email is on the back of the bulletin. It's the second one down. So I see the Bible as one long story about God and his creation. The pursuit of that creation after they've gone astray and just an unfailing love of God for that creation. That's the lens that I see Scripture through. This morning we're going to read about what is, in my opinion, probably one of the most comical, but also revolutionary uh, pieces of Scripture in the Bible. So in Luke chapter 24, we get this image of two people that are walking down this road. This road goes from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And And these two are on a journey that's going to take them from one step into a new arrival. And that road is seven miles long, the road from Jerusalem Jerusalem to Emmaus. So that's where seven miles and 18 inches comes from. So they've got a little ways to get there. Now Emmaus is the home of Cleopas and his friend who is unnamed. There are different people who say different things about who this unnamed friend is, but I'm not going to go there. Where I really want to go is where Jesus takes them. So we begin this story with Cleopas and his friend walking back to Emmaus, starting in verse 13 of chapter 24. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. 
they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Okay, so these two guys are walking down this road, and they're talking about all of these events that have just happened, right? We've been studying in our series, Jesus has just been crucified and died. So my greatest thought is that they're talking about this past week, all of these events that were, that were going on, all of the stuff that had just happened. But any way that you look at it, these two gentlemen, or if Cleopas' friend is a woman, they're walking down this road, and they're in a stage of life where they are going to have to come to grips with the fact that everything about their life has changed. But in the same way, it remains the same. Has anybody ever been in that walk before? You've been on that walk? All right, let's continue in verse 15. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still with their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? So now, like I've said before, I think that this passage is quite hilarious. Because here we have Jesus come alongside of these men, and, and they're kept from recognizing him. And, and he just walks alongside of them, and they're just like, oh, hey, buddy. And they just keep talking. Like, how do you not, if you're a follower of Jesus, how do you not recognize who this guy is? I mean, assuming that they followed him, how do you not recognize who Jesus is? So I've got some theories. So we're going to start with the first picture. So maybe, maybe Jesus was wearing some sweet shades. Maybe he was coming out and he was like, man, they'll never, under, they'll never know who I am. He's wearing some cool shades. But no, you know, he hasn't changed his haircut and, and his beard is still there. So I don't know, maybe they would have recognized him. Next slide. Maybe he was wearing one of these things. Maybe he just completely said, you know, I'm going to change everything that is going on with my face completely. Maybe that'll trick him. Or, next one, maybe it's because every time we know Jesus or we see Jesus, we think of him with this, with this sash and a lamb in his hand. So maybe he was missing the lamb and didn't have the sash on. Maybe that's why they didn't recognize him. But in all seriousness, in all seriousness, Jesus doesn't need a disguise. In this stage where these two men are in, Jesus does not need a disguise because they don't expect him to come walking alongside of them. There was doubt in these two people, just the same as Thomas. And there was defeat in their eyes. They were going through a hard time. And Jesus is able to come alongside of them and start talking with them. And he just comes up and says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And, and Cleopas kind of scolds Jesus. He's like, don't you know what's been going on? 
Are you the only guy here who has no clue about what just happened? It's big news. And in verse 19, Jesus is like, what things? Like, that's some serious comedy right there. If anybody is going to know, it's Jesus, right? Jesus is the guy who was up on that cross that they're talking about. And, and we're going to read, moving forward, they're going to say these words, like we had hoped. It leads me to believe that these two were believers, right? That they were followers. And I think that it's amazing that Jesus comes alongside them and just walks with them in their wrestling. Because that's their time of hopelessness. And Jesus walks with them. Continuing on in verse 19, Jesus asks, What things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb, and they found it just as the women had said. They did not find Jesus. So these two men are saying, well, not... We hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. What does that mean? What does redeem mean? It talks about set free. It talks about saving. It talks about rescuing. This is why Jesus' death is so devastating to these people. They thought that he was going to be the guy that was going to save them all. And now he's dead and gone. But if Jesus was, be, was to be the one to redeem, to do this rescuing, the saving of Israel, shouldn't he be the one that's triumphing over those oppressing him? And not dying at their hands? Isn't that the way that this is supposed to go down? Isn't that what it means to do this? N.T. Wright says, These two on the road to Emmaus, like everyone else in Israel, had been reading the Bible through the wrong end of the telescope. I love that. I think that's so powerful. Through the wrong end of the telescope. So instead of looking through this small end into this big end where they get to see this big, beautiful, amazing thing, they flipped it around and they're looking at it through this big lens into a small lens and they're only seeing this much. And for them, this much takes all of their hope away. Right continues on, he says, they have been seeing it as a long story of how God would redeem Israel from suffering, but instead it's about how God would redeem Israel through suffering. I wonder why they were struggling so much, these two men. Why are they walking away? I don't get it. They were obviously doubters for not staying in Jerusalem, that's a fact. 
But why are they walking away just two days after Jesus had been crucified and died? And even more, they hear other accounts from other people, credible sources, and they still are walking away. Did they have to go to work on Monday or something? I don't get it. Are you going to be late? Oh, we got a seven-mile walk ahead of us. I don't know if we'll make it in time. Help me understand this. Give me some, I want feedback. I want some, some help. So what are some, what are, what are, give me three people. Why didn't they wait there? Why? Help me. Help me figure this out. What are some possibilities? Don't all jump in at once. I know, you've had to sit there. Let's participate. What are some, give me some feedback. Hope was lost. That's a good one, yeah. They didn't have any hope anymore. Anything else? Sorry? Doubters, yeah. Fear. That's a good one, too. But I, and I have trouble because they have credible sources. And I like to think that I might be taking some creative liberties here. But I think that when Jesus comes alongside of them, he pulls out this flannel board and is like giving them this lesson about everything that has happened. Have I even got 27. Let's read that first. He said to them in 25, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to Suffer these things, then enter his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So this is where Jesus pulls out the flannel board, right? He's giving the greatest Sunday school lesson of all time. He's like, look, okay, he's moving characters. He's like, this is where, and then this is doing this, and then, oh, Noah's Ark, Noah does this, this is this story. Now I might have taken some creative liberties, I'll admit that. But what bothers me is that Jesus is here giving the greatest Sunday school lesson ever taught, and Luke doesn't record any of it. He doesn't say a word about what Jesus says. I don't... Okay, verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going to go further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So, they, so he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and opening the scriptures to us? So they're looking at each other and they're like, you know, I thought I recognized that guy. But he didn't have the lamb in his hand. And the sash wasn't on him, so I wasn't quite sure. And I didn't really want to say anything because, you know, that lamb and that sash really make him stand out. Verse 33. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them 
assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Jesus is recognized in the breaking of bread. Can you guys imagine this meal? Let's, let's paint this picture real quick. So they're sitting at this table with some stranger uh, that they met. And probably sitting at this ta- table having small talk, talking about various different things. Because this guy seems to know something about this Jesus guy. And they're sitting there and bread comes in. warm and it's soft. I hope y'all had breakfast this morning. And Jesus takes this bread in his hands and he gives a thank, gives a blessing and breaks it. And it's in this action that their eyes are open. And they recognize who Jesus is. And then they look back at each other and, and, and they look at Jesus and he's not there anymore. He's just gone. And they're like, oh my gosh. He was right here the whole time. He was in our midst the whole time. How did we not do this? How do we see Jesus? Imagine that meal. But also, imagine another meal. It's described for us in Genesis chapter 3, 6 through 7. And this meal contains an apple. make sure I got my plate right. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. I didn't have breakfast this morning. She also gave it to her husband. He was with her. He ate it. Then both of their eyes were open. And they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Their eyes were open. This story was told over and over over this story because it was the beginning of death. This was the beginning of decay. This was when the family of God was busted up and separated. It was this story, this meal, where their eyes were open and they saw what they had done. 
compare this story to this story. Have you all ever done that before? Compare these two. This story provides them with a new story, a story of regeneration. In Luke 24, verse 31, it says, Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. What happened when these eyes were open, and what happened when these eyes were open? Revolutionary. God's creation who was dead in this meal, has now become alive in this meal. God's new life for his creation, filled with hope, joy, and just, just life, freedom, bursts into the world. The world of death and decay and hopelessness, I think that that's the story that Jesus told on the seven mile. And if you wonder why we gather here together and we sing songs and we read scripture and we learn together and and, and we share things with each other, it's because we want to tell a story. When we gather around the tables like we will in just a second, we want to tell the story. We want to tell this story. story of Jesus' death and his resurrection, bringing us closer to him and also to each other, bringing us closer, putting the family back together. The big story that we try to enter into each week is not that one day somehow we're going to go and we're going to fly away. We're going to be gone from this place. No, the story that we enter into each week, the big story is that God has not abandoned his creation. God has not given up on his creation. That God has not abandoned this place or his people. When we talk about resurrection, we're talking about a world that God has not given up on. This beautiful world that that has just been messed up. And then God says, you know what? I'm going to put it back together. And I'm going to send Jesus. I'm going to start with him and his death and his resurrection. That's how it's going to happen. I'm going to rescue it. It begins with Jesus conquering death and leaving the tomb empty because resurrection declares that the world matters. Resurrection declares that what we say, think, and do matters. Resurrection declares that what we create matters. It declares that who we help matters. It declares that our bodies and what we do with them matter. It declares that what we do with our lives matter. It declares that we matter. Because of Jesus, there is a new birth and a new life. The way it was before does not have to be the way it is tomorrow. Because of this meal. No matter how much darkness and despair was in that day, that day does not have to come when you wake up tomorrow. It doesn't. You can make the choice to participate in that meal. Because the tomb is empty. It doesn't matter anymore. Maybe you're here today and you struggle with something your whole 
life. Fear, depression, I don't, it, it doesn't matter what it is. And there's always been that little voice inside your head that's crippled you for years, saying that you ain't never going to make it out. I disagree. Because I believe in the resurrection. The brokenness, the death, the decay, that was that meal. Hope, freedom, and life, that's that meal. The old way can come knocking at the door, and you can open the door and say no. You can say, he's not here anymore. She's not here anymore. Because the tomb is empty. He has risen. That way doesn't have to be the way it is anymore. So we're going to enter into a time together of prayer. Y'all can be standing. We're going to enter into a time of prayer and communion this morning together. This breaking of bread that Jesus did with the two when he traveled on the road to Emmaus went from a seven-mile journey to also a journey of 18 inches. The journey of 18 inches from their head to their heart was taken also. I pray that during this meal, that that journey for you would be taken as well. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that meal in Genesis 3 doesn't have to be the one to tell the whole story. Father, thank you for the breaking of bread. Thank you for the community that we get to have as we come around this table and break bread. And Father, we are glad that you are here with us. God, thank you so much for this community. Thank you for the life and the freedom and the joy that we get to have in you, that we get to have together. Father, come alongside of us in our seven-mile walk, even if we don't know you're there. And Father, I pray that we would take that 18-inch journey as well. Father, bless our time. It's in your son's name.